Hi, it's Angela Poon from Strive Stronger and welcome to the Strive Stronger podcast, bite-sized edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Today's bite-sized edition is from episode number six, where Andrew spoke to his good friend and former Australian cricket opening batsman, Ed Cowan, about why he initially turned down both a baggy green cap for Australia and also a baggy blue cap for the New South Wales cricket team. Now, Ed tells Andrew about his mindset and approach to working hard and feeling like you have earned the just rewards, not just receiving something as a token gesture. And when you dig deep and give it your everything, this is a lot more meaning and associated pleasure. And even though I'm not a cricketer, actually, I don't think I've ever swung a cricket bat in my life, nor am I an elite athlete. But there was a key thing that I took away from this, which was about taking risks, not going down the path that is expected of you and being bold. If I was going to do the traditional podcast interview about you at cricket, I would ask you about at 14, scoring, I think, a double century, playing for New South Wales, playing Australian under-19s, making your debut for New South Wales, where I first met you when you were 19. But people can Google that. Yeah. I want to talk about your aversion to baggy greens and baggy blues. Okay. Do you want to start on the green or the blue? You're, you're the host, man. Test match, 2005, Australia versus Pakistan. I was sitting in the crowd at the SCG. So was I. I know. We sent each other a text message. We were going to meet in the members bar. And I suddenly look up a couple of overs later and complete the story. Well, I, I got a text message from a, a mutual friend of ours, Duncan, who, who threw a, a lifeline out and said, oh, the 12th man is sick today. Do you want to be 12th man for the test match? And for those who aren't into their cricket, and there are plenty, I'm sure, listening, uh, the 12th man is the you know, the guy that or girl that carries out the drinks, acts as a little bit of a butler at times to the to the uh, the players, to, you know, runs out of towel, the drinks, the get me a new bat, can you change my grip? It's a bit of a thankless to it sucks, basically. But it's usually the next person in the team. And so that person is usually, you know, a player of profile and prominence. Sometimes around the test team, they get younger guys to to help out, and less so then as now. Um, anyway, I was, I was having a beer in the bar, and the, the text came through: "Can you be twelfth man?" I said, "Absolutely." You know, I just made my debut for New South Wales. Go out, hang out with Justin Langer, Matthew Hayden, Ricky Ponting, Warney. Uh, you know the the who's who of the Australian cricket team uh, in their absolute. Did you think it may pomp. have been some of your mates at Sydney University who were known to play pranks? No, they did like playing <laughs> a prank on me. But in this case, it was the real deal. So anyway, I was I was luckily twelfth man for the Test match. And you get a baggy green. You don't officially. You get a whole heap of training gear. So what? So you fit in with the group. They give you all the all the paraphernalia, including you know like a. A training hat and a maybe a, a, a wide brim hat to wear if you have to field. You didn't want to take that. No, I didn't because I, I hadn't earned it. I was the guy in the bar who was filling in for the guy who was sick. You know, like the the for me the symbol of the baggy green and, and it could be anything that you dream of or desire in life. You want to earn that, and so for me, I was still on the trajectory of wanting to do that for myself. I wanted to play cricket for Australia, and so the symbol of the hat or the clay, you know, even the training shorts. People think, oh, I'll take the training shorts, wear them to the beach. People might think I'm playing for Australia. I, was like, I don't want anything to do with that because for me that was just such a, a symbol of what was at the end of the tunnel 
and I was only at the start. And so I, I needed to make my own journey worthwhile and, and for me that was just through the symbol of, of the gear. I purposely want to leave an open loop. We'll come back to when you did make your debut for Australia and when you got your baggy green. We'll talk about that experience and how you felt when you'd earned it. But in between that, you were given a baggy blue yeah. for New South Wales. I understand you walked back into Dave Gilbert's office, who was the CEO of New South Wales Cricket at the time, and handed it back to him. Well, mm. same story. I was 12th man. My, my first game, I was the official 12th man. So rather than the guy in the, in the bar, I was the 12th man for the fixture and when you are 12th man, you do, of the official 12th man, you do get a hat. And I said, that for, you know, for all the same reasons I've just uh, responded with, let's wait till I actually, you know, get it good and proper. Admirable. Do you think there was anyone in cricket circles going, God, this guy, just take a hat. <laughs> Come on, we're trying to give you some opportunities, Ed. Like, take it. I don't know. Fit it on, mate. Yeah. Go at home. Look in the mirror. Visualise. I'm not, I hated all I hated all that and the, and the full rigmarole around, uh, you know, people getting ahead of themselves. I don't know. I was, I was very much of the old school of, of having to earn your stripes. And you mentioned before your family values. It's obviously where that comes from. Yeah. Um, and you've openly spoken about this to me, but in the open domain, so I'm not going anywhere that I don't think I can. But you went to Cranbrook School yeah. and I heard you say on Shane Lee's podcast that you felt like you had to prove even more oh, that because you went to an elite Australian school – that it wasn't a, you know, a silver ride in or yeah. red carpet. Without doubt that, you know, cricket throughout Australia has historically been a, a working-class sport and I think out of particularly in New South Wales, I think there's been maybe five in the history of cricket that have gone to private schools really? and played for Australia, yeah. So our mutual friend Matthew Nicholson's one. That's what I was going there aren't many others, in short, and through we're talking about over a sort of hundred year period, and the reason why is you know multifaceted. But one is you play school cricket till you're eighteen, and all the other cricketers are playing club cricket at fourteen, and so they get to play against men a lot sooner, and their skills develop, and they they toughen up. They have a hard exterior to the game. Their mental skills are far sharper than playing against kids your own age all the way through to your eighteen. And so on that, with that kind of context, when you come out of playing school cricket, you're assumed to be just a little bit softer, a little bit more susceptible to pressure, uh, maybe, you know, do it for a couple of years and you can go to university or something. You don't really, it, the perception is you don't really want it. Well, I really wanted it. And so I had to fight that perception hard uh, because it was certainly there. I think it made me a better cricketer for a whole range of reasons, but specifically I think it was it was more around wanting to prove people wrong and different things inspired different people and it's not for everyone, but I, I really took that challenge of I'm going to prove these people wrong and the same people that probably doubted me at 19 became my closest friends at 23 because it, it, it took three or four years for them to realise actually that this guy's serious and and had seen the, the the playbook from there, I guess. The psychological construct of what you're talking about is drive. When you have this innate like purpose, vision, mm. goal setting, and you go about it, the street term is chip on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. You got that burning desire. Yeah, f you, screw you. I'm going to do this. So it was different to a lot of players in your era and and now who've come from a, a different beginning, right? They sort of wanted to prove themselves the opposite way. So it's yeah. quite a reverse approach that you had to take. It was and, I, and it evolved over time. I think that's what got 
created my little crack into earning my stripes for New South Wales. By the time I was up and going, my my drive probably shifted and my attitude shifted to that of probably, and you mature, of course, but it became very focused on I'm on a personal journey. I want to be the best cricketer I can be. Whatever happens will happen, but I'm committed to my own personal improvement and high performance rather than I'm doing it because I want to prove you wrong and you wrong. It was actually about I'm just going to be the best I can be and and so be it. But it, it took a while to get there. and that, I mean, that was a nice state to end up in because you can't walk around with a chip on your shoulder forever mm. and, and motivations change and development changes, but I think that is a much more stable mental state to be in for long-term high Getting performance. Getting very deep into sports psychology, Ed, you can use that chip to get you going, but it's got to be something, a higher purpose, Without a higher doubt. connection to keep you going. And you got going and you did keep going, but there are a number of other names at the front of the order. And I'm just going back using memory because you were getting starts and there are a lot of other opening batsmen, you know, six or seven into two doesn't quite work. So Greg Mayle, mm. uh, I don't know whether Matthew Phelps was still playing. Yeah. You had uh, Jakesy, Phil Jakes, the current coach at New South Wales Cricket, um, Phil Hughes, yep. you had yourself. Usman. Usman Kawaja. Pete Forrest. Pete Forrest. Yeah, all players that essentially play for Australia. Ridiculous amount of talent. Mm. And I can remember you talking to me. I know you sought counsel with another mutual friend of ours, Simon Cadditch. I reckon you would have spoken to Farhard, the good man P. Farhard. You decided to do what was considered bold, brave. Some people, you know, other players and coaches, well, what is he doing? Who does he think he is? You packed up and you moved to Hobart, Tasmania. Yeah. Talk me through that process. Well, there were- I think there was also another catalyst that you probably would have been hard. I mean, you remember it, but you, you probably hard to, to dig up from the memories was a, a really bad injury that mm. I didn't uh, didn't play for an entire season. So I was I forgot. I'd actually forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, I was in the team doing really well. I then had you know, essentially ripped my big toe off my foot um, and didn't play for a season. All these other guys that you just mentioned. I went to the bottom of the queue and they jumped ahead of me. You were in and our little rehab school and Dave Misson. That's exactly Remember right. For, for 12 months. Misso's uh, theory was make rehab so bloody hard you want to get out on the field and do 400s. Which was fine when you could walk or run. But in my case, again, that psychology was hang on, hang about. And it was, it, was, it might have been the, the wrong one or the right one. It, turned, it was a good story in the end. But dropping to the back of the queue, I was like, hang on, I was up here and now all these other people are getting an opportunity. And, and you saw I was cricket, you don't want to give anyone an opportunity because mm. the, the depth of talent is, is so great. Anyway, it was like I was the, the guy at the station, the train was four stations along and I was nowhere. And so the opportunity to, to go to Tassie popped up and you're right, I, I needed some counsel from a whole range of people because I dreamt of playing for New South Wales. My family was here. I just met this wonderful girl. Uh, who was also living in Sydney, but there was your, your this, mates are here. All my mates were here. The, my the whole script, life, the script yeah, was happening. Absolutely, and then there was this opportunity, and I had to balance. You know what? I have worked at that stage probably ten years of full time commitment from fourteen to or well, you know twenty six at that point of wanting to be a cricketer. Here is the opportunity that you are waiting for. You can always come home, but do not leave this stone unturned. And I couldn't get that out of my mind because it didn't. I wasn't desperately unhappy in New South Wales, but what the setup in Tassie were a very strong team at the time. They just won the Sheffield Shield. They had a guy who was coaching in Tim Coyle, who was maybe the best coach in the country. Michael Divinuto was the batting coach. 
he batted left-handed, I batted left-handed. It just felt like there were pieces of the puzzle that were going to come together for me. And most of all, and I didn't realise it as much at the time when I made the decision, the joy of a fresh start Mm. where you have to go and prove yourself again, where that hunger can be reignited, where you have to go and there's no uh, preconceived idea of your personality. You can, not that you want to reinvent yourself, but you're a very different person at 27 to 20. And I think that people were still seeing me as the 20-year-old in New South Wales, the up-and-comer, the rising star, and I wanted to be the guy. And so it was just a, a wonderful opportunity to sort of, you know, clean the decks, so to speak, and go and be my own person, take my new girlfriend, now wife, uh, down and, and start a, a new life. Mm. Uh, rebrand is a word we yeah. use often in business. Uh, when I was athlete, Ed, I, I came back as Teddy. Yeah, when, when you say that <laughs> as an athlete, we go, oh, don't athletes use that. But you did, you did that. And also don't uh, wipe out the environment. You know, I lived yeah. in Tasmania for five or six years as an athlete and it's beautiful, it's pristine and it's like a big friendly community and and it is it's different to living in the eastern suburbs in sydney that's what i I love the most was the sense of community and the culture that that team had bred and there was no um no secret to their success was built around the the people and the culture of of that team was around togetherness new south wales highly talented highly fragmented would win occasionally but not in a durable manner. Tasmania, population 500,000 people winning national titles every second year for the next five years. Mm. That speaks to the people inside the room uh, and, and their ability to manage talent, the interpersonal relationships in the team, people moving in the same direction, all the things that we love and talk about in business apply to sports teams just as much. That cohesion was high, great leadership. So it became a team that I just fell in love with and it was such an easy place to live. There was no stress, there was no distraction. Uh, I was there to play cricket and make friends and, and my family became my teammates. Hey, it's Andrew and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Stride Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.